My introduction to James Hong was through Seinfeld. Uh, is there a table ready? How many? It was the Chinese restaurant episode. And there's this maitre d'. Oh, be five, ten minutes. And he never lets Jerry or the gang sit. That actor, that's James Hong. No, no, they were here before. Uh, too. Even though you might not know him by name, James Hong is everywhere. Whether it's in Wayne's World 2, <laughs> Big Bang Theory, when I'm walking over to the table, maybe I get bumped. One of the dumplings fall to the floor. No one has to know. Or Kung Fu Panda. Oh, what are you doing there? That food is for Paul. By most standards, James has had a hugely successful career in Hollywood. There's approximately 400 roles that I played in television and movies on camera. And then, of course, there's many roles I play as a voiceover actor. But often, it didn't feel like success to him. Because despite all the work that James was getting, many of the roles he was being offered were limiting. When I started here in Hollywood, they didn't really care who the Chinese actors were. Asians were put into a movie or TV mainly as a gimmick. We had no identity. I'm Drew Beebe, and this is Great Big Story. Today, the story of actor James Hong, who overcame racial prejudice to become one of the most prolific actors in Hollywood history. And his legacy actually extends beyond his own credits, since James created a way for Asian actors, writers, and directors to launch their own careers in Hollywood. Today's story comes from producer... Dominique Turner. I see the people are starting to gather here, so that's nice. I first met up with James Hong outside the East West Players Theater in the little Tokyo area of Los Angeles. Nice to see you. East West Players is the theater company that James was a founding member of 54 years ago. Tonight, they're putting on a rendition of the musical Mamma Mia. The entire cast consists of people of color, mostly Filipino. So, uh, where are you are from? Thank you so much. Here. Oh, yeah, L.A. Yeah, LA. More people tonight are from L.A. And even at 90 years old, James is mingling with the crowd, taking photos with fans, <laughs> and even dancing. Oh, you got to step in here. Let somebody else take the picture. All this got me thinking how meaningful it was to see this diverse cast of actors. When James was coming up, Hollywood looked very different. James was born in Minneapolis, Minnesota, to parents who immigrated from Hong Kong. In a way, I thought I was partly Swedish because there were no Chinese almost in Minnesota. Chinatown consists of two stores. One of the stores, my father's herb store, you know, and we live upstairs. That was Chinatown. However, James's parents were worried he was becoming too American. So when he was five years old, they actually moved the family back to Hong Kong. This provided James with not just Cantonese language skills, but also a deeper insight into the way of life there. After about four years, the family moved back to Minneapolis. And even in the U.S., James continued to be influenced by Chinese culture. All the laundrymen from Minneapolis had nothing to do on weekends, so they would gather at my father's store. They hired these Chinese opera people from San Francisco to come and do their thing. 
and I was only a little boy, and you watch him with wide eyes. Wow, what a profession. And I would impersonate them in the mirror, you know, because that's my audience, the mirror. So somehow, so all those things uh, impressed me quite a bit. In school, James was in the drama club. He wrote plays. He even did stand-up comedy. All of this solidified his love for the stage. But to please his parents, he ended up studying civil engineering in college. Chinese parents want you to be some professional rather than be an actor. Because being an actor is like the last rung in the ladder of profession. They don't even call it a profession because it's um, shameful to demonstrate your feelings in front of an audience. You were taught to be kind of quiet and keep to yourself. So I kind of hid that from my parents. But James couldn't let go of his acting dreams. So he packed his bags and moved to Los Angeles. Way back in 1953, I came out here one summer. I and my comedy uh, partner, we were going to set the world on fire. We knocked on every door and tried to do comedy for like the comedy club in those days. But nobody took us in because we, you know, we were too much of an amateur. James's big break came when he was booked on a TV show called You Bet Your Life, hosted by legendary comedian Groucho Marx. Never heard of him. Oh, that's me. I did impersonations of Groucho, James Cagney, and so forth. And people wrote into the show saying how much they loved James. And I got the second biggest fan mail ever on Groucho Marx show. So uh, an agent saw me and, and she signed me up. And then all of a sudden, they wanted me to be in a movie. Filmed on the spot with Clark Gable as Hank Lee. Soldier of Fortune with Clark Gable. It was just some kind of an experience I never forgot to act with Clark Gable. 300 miles down Blood Alley. Blood Alley with uh, John Wayne. And uh, Love is Many Splendid Thing with Bill Holden, Jennifer Jones. From then on, it was 10 movies or TVs a, a year. Even though he wasn't credited for a lot of his early parts, James still started to make a name for himself. But there was a problem. They didn't really care who the Chinese actors were. We never really got any roles, except the supporting actor and the lesser roles. And so I ended up in the early career mostly playing laundrymen or uh, persecuted Chinamen by the whites and always being rescued. And when a script did call for an Asian lead? Most of the time was played by Caucasian actors with their eyes taped up and their little teeth. I saw, and that became the acceptance of the industry to just uh, have the Asians uh, play by the white people. We were never thought of playing the main roles. They just find the little gimmicks to cast us into. For example, take the New Adventures of Charlie Chan series in the late 50s about a Chinese-American detective. And when I went by his room to give it back to him, he wasn't there. James played Charlie Chan's son, Barry, but Charlie himself? Well, please elucidate to humble father. Irish-American actor J. Carroll Nash. And other actors like Marlon Brando, John Wayne, 
and Mickey Rooney all played Asian characters in the 1950s and 60s, a practice known as yellowface. Despite all this, James continued to pursue his love of acting. Even though I was cast into those gimmick roles or the cliché roles, I did the best as an actor to uh, overcome the cliché-ness because I had to do it in order to keep working. If you didn't accept those roles, you would have to sit back and wait forever. When we come back, James takes his frustration with a lack of representation, and he decides to do something about it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life, I sit down with Giles Yeo. It is a problem of our brain influencing the hunger. So hunger is a brain scenario, even though the feeling of hunger comes from your stomach. It's a very new and provocative way of thinking about a condition that impacts more than 40% of Americans. But the thing is, this approach could have big consequences for the way that we treat obesity. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. The team at Great Big Story has been hard at work bringing you inspiring and wondrous tales just like this one. And we want to know what you think. Please visit CNN.com slash podcast survey to answer a few questions. It'll only take a minute and it will help us a lot as we work to bring you stories that you'll like even more. That's CNN.com slash podcast survey. We're back with the story of James Hong. As he and other Asian actors faced an uphill battle for representation in Hollywood, they took matters into their own hands. Producer Dominique Turner tells us the story. In the early 60s, James started to rack up credits in movies and TV shows. And he learned that Hollywood would only allow Asian actors certain types of roles. Back in 1962, I started to realize that we had to do something in Hollywood to stop this uh, cliché movement of casting Asians as evil people and so forth. And for James, there was one film that was the last straw. The Confessions of an Opium Eater. During that year, there was a film called The Confessions of an Opium Eater, directed by Albert Zugsmith. He started to cast for that movie, and I read the script. I said, this is terrible. All the roles were the dope people and the prostitutes and so forth. I said, I, I can't go audition for this. This is not a good image of the Chinese. Can you change the script somewhat? He was really furious. And he says, no, I'm going to make this movie anyway. And he did. That's the way it was all through the industry. Nobody would listen to us. So I was back to so-called base one as far as uh, being dissatisfied with the cliché roles I was playing. 
so then James decided that if he and other Asian actors couldn't get the roles they wanted inside Hollywood, they would have to do something outside of it. I felt that we have to do something progressive. So then I get together an acting group, and it was the first Asian acting group that was formed in Los Angeles. From that group of people who wanted to be good professional actors, we then started to change things. Their first production was Rashomon, an American play based on several Japanese stories. That started the industry noticing who we were. We weren't just extras or gimmick people. We were in a play that we organized. We were the main leading actors, and we commanded the attention. Then we formally formed the East-West Players to showcase works by the Asians who wrote the play, who designed the stage, who acted in the play. It was all done by Asian people. So in James's career, he sort of had these two parallel paths going on. He had the East-West Players, a place where Asian actors could tell their own stories. And on the other hand, he continued taking mainstream Hollywood roles. And he's had tons of roles. He'd show up in sitcoms like All in the Family and Taxi. Ten-cent tippers you never forget. In dramatic shows like Hawaii Five-O and The West Wing. Of course, China would like to see a peaceful solution. But we are prepared to use whatever force is necessary. And in movies alongside stars like Eddie Murphy and Jack Nicholson. You are very successful. Oh, I can't complain. Does that mean you are happy? Who can answer that question off the top of their head? Anyone who's happy. I played everything, you know, from good guys, persecuted guys, evil guys, kung fu fighters, a lot of westerns in those old days. Anything, you know. I can name a few movies that people can recognize me in. Blade Runner. I just do eyes. Just eyes. Just genetic design. Just eyes. Seinfeld. Yes, I just got a call. Uh, I yell, Cartwright! Cartwright! Just like that. Nobody came up, I hang up. Wayne's World 2. Big Bang Theory. When I'm walking over to the table, maybe I get bumped. One of the dumplings fall to the floor. No one has to know. But no matter the role, James always tried to do his best. I took those roles, and then I put the real feelings, even if it's a villain, like Big Trouble in Little China. The darkest magic. My soul swims in it, scattered across time, trapped in the world of formlessness. David Lopan is not an evil guy. I looked at him as a real person who is wandering around the universe looking for the girl with green eyes. So how can you fault a guy for finding the one true love he wants? And then, of course, there's many roles I play as a voiceover actor, Mr. Ping in Kung Fu Panda. It was just another day at the restaurant. Time to make the noodles. And how can I forget Mulan Chifu? Captain, urgent news from the general. We're needed at the front. As of July 2020, according to his IMDb page, 
James has been in 469 episodes of TV shows, 149 feature films, 32 short films and videos, and 22 video games. A total of 672 credits, making him one of the most credited actors of all time. And that number itself is part of James's legacy. He was doing these roles however small. He was plastered across movie and TV screens. Doing what he loved in itself was an act of defiance. 66 uh, years ago, I, I was just a happy-go-lucky kid hitting the Hollywood and doing my comedy wherever I could. You, you don't think of how am I going to improve the industry. Certainly not. You're just out having fun. And has James seen a change in the industry? Of course. In a matter of 60-some uh, years, you've got to see some change with the movie Crazy Rich Asians and uh, Fresh Off the Boat and so forth. We have established ourselves in this industry as good actors and can act in main leading roles. But it's not big enough for me. As the Asian Americans, what have we done to further ourselves so that we don't stay in the background too long. So let's do it. Let's do something to express ourselves. And so we're back to where we started, at the East-West Players Theater. Row E, seat one and two. The audience takes their seats, and the show begins. I sat here the other evening flabbergasted at how good the people were. And it made me realize as I walked out of the theater, I said, my goodness, there were about uh, 15 actors who could sing very well and dance. And in its 53 seasons, East West Players has seen hundreds of actors, writers, and directors come through. Some have become this generation's movie stars. Like Randall Park and uh, George Takei, B.D. Wong, who's going to direct something. Other notable celebrities include Daniel Day Kim, Cal Penn, and John Cho. And according to East West Players' current artistic director, it's estimated that at one point, 70% of Asian American actors in Hollywood had a connection to East West Players. And they're preparing the next generation for success. Even now, East West Players has classes going on. Can you imagine if you're an Asian actor from Michigan or somewhere, and you come in here to Hollywood, you don't know what to do. Well, they can come here and find out what they can do. There are a lot of help and guidance through the East-West players, and that's what it's all about. I'm so happy that I started that movement because, you know, it's just a dream to see what we have here now. The thing I admire most about James is that he's just as passionate about acting as when he first started. Now that I'm 90 years old, I have to be proud of what I've done. But you can't be too proud because there's too much work to do. In a sense, I could just retire on my pension. But something inside of me, inside of James Hong, that wants to keep on going and do more movies, This story was from producer Dominique Turner. Since she met with James in 2019, he has celebrated his 91st birthday. 
And like many of us, James says life during coronavirus has been hectic. But as you can probably guess, he's still working. Among other projects, he's co-writing, producing, and starring in a film called Patsy Lee and the Keepers of the Five Kingdoms. The East-West Players is now in its 54th season, which looks a little different in times of social distancing, but they're continuing their advocacy and social justice work on behalf of all people of color. The Great Big Story podcast is a production of Great Big Story and CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Dominique Turner and Dave Yim. Additional production by Jocelyn Contreras. Our executive producers are Sadie Bass and Megan Marcus. Francisco Monroy is our engineer. Raj Makija is our senior production manager. Special thanks to Katie Hinman and Ashley Lusk. Courtney Coop is our vice president of digital productions. And Ashley Codiani is our vice president of brand and digital strategy. We'll be back with another story next week. I'm Drew Beebe. Thanks for listening. <laughs>